Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. It is Wednesday, right? Okay, great. Our speaker this evening is Dr. Jay Ott. He's our registrar and also director of the Christian Educational Ministries program here at NBC. Let's welcome Dr. Ott. Thank you. Let us stand as we worship in song this evening. A very familiar psalm of David. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And later on in the, in the psalm, it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. And that's what I pray we approach this evening with a broken and a contrite, a broken spirit, contrite heart. This worship. Lord, you have given us the promise of your word that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Lord, we are so grateful that you have come into our lives. And you have changed the desires, the hungers of our heart. But we are more grateful that you have given to us the promise and the reality of the power to conform our lives to those new desires. May that be the reality of our experience of your Holy Spirit tonight and always. As we have come before you to feast on your word, may your word accomplish your purpose in our lives tonight. May we be yielded to you that we may experience all that you have promised us in your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. My opening text for tonight is going to be Galatians chapter 5. We will start with verses 16 through 17. I would encourage you to uh, open your Bibles. If you do not have your own Bible, grab one that is uh, under the seat in front of you. And keep your book, your Bibles with you and open to Galatians. Let me read together for us Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Stay with me as we analyze this passage of Scripture together uh, for a little bit tonight. Paul begins the passage with an exhortation, with a plea to us. Live by the Spirit. But behind that exhortation is a warning, a caution that he conveys to us. If you do not live by the Spirit you will not be able to live without gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, he is saying that there is a dangerous condition that every one of us must be aware of. It is a condition in which we have a believer, and Paul is speaking here to believers. These are persons who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and because of that, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within them. And yet there remains also within them the sinful nature. They have not yet gone on from salvation to the experience of entire sanctification in which that sinful nature is crucified. In that situation, with both of those forces within them, Paul says that believers are in danger of gratifying, continuing to live under and gratifying the desires of that sinful nature. The word gratify here is the Greek word teleo. You might be surprised to know that that is the exact same word that is used in the scriptures in relationship to the experience of entire sanctification. Its basic meaning is perfection. To come to the end of something or to experience the fulfillment of the purpose of something. In relationship to the work of the Holy Spirit, it means that a person would come to the point where the plan and the purpose of God through the Holy Spirit has been achieved in that individual believer's life. In relationship to the sinful nature, teleo means that we would allow the desires of that nature to run their full course in our lives. The result, Paul goes on to say, of this dangerous condition within the believer is that the sinful nature 
desires within that person what is contrary to the Spirit. And at the same time, the Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. So this creates an inescapable experience of conflict within the believer. It is an image of two paths that run in directly opposite directions of each other. And here is the believer with one foot firmly planted on one path, the path of the Spirit, and one foot firmly planted on the other path, the path of the sinful nature. And each foot is striving with all of its might to lead the believer down that path which it has chosen. Can you see the trouble? Can you see the danger? Paul goes on to point out the tragic an inevitable outcome of continuing to live in this condition. He says, so that you do not do what you want. In other words, if we allow this condition to remain in our lives, the sinful nature will keep the Holy Spirit from producing righteousness and Christ-likeness in our lives. At the same time, the Spirit will keep the sinful nature from allowing us to experience the pleasures and the satisfactions of the pursuits of the things of this world. Either way, neither one of these forces in our lives is able to accomplish its purpose within us. And the result is that we are not able to follow either one. This situation, if it persists in us, can only create a lifestyle that is entirely frustrating and self-defeating. In other words, Paul is describing individuals who, although they have experienced the presence and the power of God in their lives, they have become unplugged from the blessings, the joys, and the fulfillment of the power that God desires them to experience through the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I want to address an issue
that is causing many believers to become unplugged from the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I need to admit to you that this is the most difficult sermon that I have preached in the 10 years that I've been at NBC. It's been so difficult for me that it's taken me four years from when God first laid it upon my heart for me to actually present it to you tonight. If you still have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 5, look down with me at verse 19. In this verse, Paul begins to list the acts of the sinful nature that can lead Christians to lose their spiritual power. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Out of this list, if you and I were to do some research on contemporary American culture, we would begin to see one of these acts of the sinful nature that has become literally a plague, a spiritual plague upon believers in, in this world. In that research, you would find that most reliable experts conclude that between 40 and 60% of men in America today are experiencing some kind of sexual addiction. That same research <laughs> shows that the rates are nearly the same for men who identify themselves as Christians. 40 to 60 percent. As troubling as that is, it's even more troubling when we discover that although this has historically been a problem for men, in the last 20 years, the rate of sexual addiction among women has, be, has been increasing so rapidly that very soon, 
the rates for the female population for sexual addiction will be equal to that for the male population. We all wish that we could say that these statistics do not hold true among members of the NBC family. However, historically, the rate of sexual addiction among, among clergy runs only slightly behind that of the general population. 40 to 60 percent. In ministering with individuals who have struggled with sexual addiction, I believe that God has helped me to understand a key scheme that Satan uses to ensnare believers in this trap. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says to us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. In this passage, God is revealing to us that he has created within mankind the drive to procreate and to populate the world so that they can subdue it and manage it as God's stewards. As such, we need to recognize that the sex drive is essential to our created nature. It is a part of who we are, and it will be a part of who we are as long as we live in this world. Now, the record of creation confirms for us that God looked at all creation and he said it's good. And that applies to this drive as well. It is the way in which God planned for us to be and to live. We also understand from this account that the sex drive is only second behind the drive for fellowship with God himself in terms of the influence that it has over our behavior. Second only to our drive for fellowship with God. Well, if all of this is true, then where does the trouble begin for believers? Turn with me back to the book of James. James chapter 1. 
when you arrive there, look down at verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. In this passage, God states, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. While we understand from Scripture that the drive for sex is pure and holy, like all other natural and good desires, Satan entices us to satisfy these desires through ungodly ways. That is what God is telling us here. The desire is good. It is a gift that God has given to us, but Satan takes that gift and he seeks to lead us into behaviors that are aimed at satisfying that desire in ways that God never intended and in ways that God knows are ultimately harmful to us and will destroy us. What God wants us to understand is that the sex drive is an instinctive response. When any of us experience sexually oriented stimuli, automatically and without choice, without conscious choice, we begin to experience, experience physical, mental, and emotional responses to that stimuli. Again, it's just natural. It's automatic. It happens without conscious choice. Now, here's the, the critical implication of this truth. It doesn't matter if you are saved. It doesn't matter if you are sanctified entirely. It doesn't matter how long you have walked with God. It doesn't matter how deep your walk with God is. If you are a human being, it is true that when you experience sexual stimuli, you will have a response to it. Now, it is important that you understand this next statement. This does not mean that we must act on every response that we experience. It does not mean that we must give in to every desire 
that that response awakens within us. Admitting that, we also have to keep in mind, however, the powerful influence that the sex drive has over us. And we must be aware of Satan's skillful use of that response in leading us from desire to act. The key deception of Satan in this area is getting us to believe that because we are saved or because we are filled with the Holy Spirit or because we are called to ministry or because we have been Christians for so long that we are somehow immune to this sin. The moment that we believe this lie from Satan is the moment that we become most vulnerable to the sin. And over and over and over again, I have met sincere believers who have failed in this area and to a one they will tell me I never thought it could happen to me. If it is true that every believer will always be susceptible to moral corruption of their sex drive, then how should we respond to this situation? How can we follow God's injunction to live by the Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature? The best prescription for the situation that I have found is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. In this verse, God tells us, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. What God is directing us to do is to perform radical surgery on our lives in order to remove every avenue that Satan can use to put us in sexually compromising positions and to tempt us to satisfy our sexual desires in ungodly ways. Nothing short of radical spiritual surgery. Now, if you will permit me to share with you some examples, some practical examples of ways that I have implemented this in my own life. 
in our household, all of our television sets. We have set the, uh, put the ratings, the settings at PG-13. In other words, we cannot watch anything that exceeds that rating. And in addition, I've asked Marsha to set the, the passwords to those. And I don't know what they are, so I couldn't change them or override them even if I wanted to. In addition, every device that we have that has access to the internet, Marsha has permission to look at them and to check where I have been on the internet. And she does that. That keeps me from going to places where I would not want her to know I've been. I'm also very cautious to avoid situations where I am alone with women other than Marcia. This is a situation where I try to follow what, what the Bible says. It's best to avoid even the appearance of evil. Finally, I work to avoid settings and situations where I know that I will be exposed to sexual stimuli and have opportunity to entertain that stimuli and my responses to them. For example, <laughs> I just don't go to public beaches very often anymore. I know that it's just not good for me to be there. Recently, I was called to provide a series of revival services for a local church. While I was there, they also asked me to speak at a community men's ministry breakfast. I shared this same message at that breakfast. After I concluded my message, two young men in their late, mid to late 20s came up to talk to me. They expressed their appreciation for my message and told me that they wished someone had told them this earlier. Both of them had allowed themselves to get into compromising situations with teen girls in their church. As a result, they gave in to the temptation to have sexual relationships with them. Both of them ended up spending several years in jail. And now, for the rest of their lives, their names are going to appear 
on a national list of sex offenders. It's easy for us to say that this would never happen to us. It would never happen here at Nazarene Bible College. However, I have personally had to address issues of sexual addiction with more than a half a dozen students at NBC. If you pay attention to the news at all, you could name a whole list of public figures, politicians, ministers who have admitted to sexual failures in just the past few years. God wants each of us to understand the critical nature of this issue in our lives. He also wants us to make an immediate and commitment to ruthlessly cut off from our lives every means through which Satan can lead us into sin through the enticement of our sexual desires and drives. What we need to understand is that if we do not take care of this issue here, if we do not develop the disciplines of living by the Spirit, and protecting our lives from the influence of Satan and from the rule of the desires of the sinful nature. If that does not happen here at NBC, it will not happen when we leave this campus. And we have to engage Satan in the battle of the trenches of local church ministry. It will not happen. God is calling us to an immediate commitment to the standards of holiness to the experience of entire sanctification. To put off from our lives the avenues through which Satan can attack us and entice us. To fail through sexual immorality. call of God is clear. If that's your earnest prayer and the deep 
commitment of your heart tonight? Will you respond to him and come as we sing this closing number? stand as we pray and be dismissed. God, you have met with us tonight. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us. Help us to respond with our lives, God. Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.